0: Hello everyone, I'm back again with David Fair, nutritionist from the Bern University of Applied Science, uh, the Bern Fachhochschule. So in our last two episodes, we talked a lot about vitamin D. So we talked about uh, myths related to vitamin D, such as whether dietary cholesterol is necessary to produce enough vitamin D. We also talked about the problems of uh, uh, potentially having large doses in uh, monthly or yearly formats, uh, especially in elderly people, and how it could potentially increase the risk of uh, stuff such as uh, bone fractures. So a few of you sent in a few questions such as, how much uh, time do I need to spend outside in the winter and the summertime to get enough vitamin D produced? So that was an interesting paper uh produced uh looking at switzerland and how the sun exposure varies during uh winter and summertime. so it was based on looking at four different places in switzerland and it found that based on the the sun availability in the winter time we would need to spend just under seven hours at 10 percent skin exposure outside to get sufficient vitamin d produced and Whereas in the summer, we would need to spend up to 40 uh, minutes with 30% of our skin being exposed to the sun. So this is all very theoretical. So David, thanks again for coming back and answering these questions. Is this uh, possible?
1: So well, Thanks, Patrick. Um, I would say probably most likely not for most people. Um, first of all, the ankle of the sun Uh, in most um, time during the winter, is too low to allow sufficient production. So, uh, these seven hours, uh, or what they found, is uh, very theoretical, also because um, the weather situation in um, Switzerland and in most countries in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, is um, so that uh, the sun is in fact um, covered uh, by fog, for example, um, uh, clouds. Uh, and uh, this may maybe work for uh, higher altitudes in Switzerland, like 1,000 or 1,500 meters above uh, sea level. Uh, but we clearly see, and other studies showed that also, that blood levels of vitamin D in the Swiss general populations are lower, clearly lower in wintertime, with uh, the lowest level at around uh, February, March, uh, than in summertime. So if you want to avoid that, practically, it's um, makes much more sense to take a supplement instead of uh, going outside and expose uh, too large uh, areas of the skin and the risk to uh, catching a cold. And the other thing is that uh, we might stay more often inside for several reasons for windy weather and cold weather. And uh, because activities, they shift to uh, like indoor activities during uh, winter time. So uh, it's not uh, very meaningful in my eyes. uh, If you Believe that um, you have to compensate the lower levels uh, for health reasons. Then it makes more sense to take a supplement, uh, maybe 400 to uh, 800 international units per day, of uh, vitamin D, than uh, to try to cover it uh, with um, with sunshine exposure during winter time. Does not make much sense in my eyes.
0: Mm. So I have a supplement which I bought recently at 4,000 international units so this is something you would not recommend right
1: no based on the evidence we have this is uh too high and you could say of course uh, if there is uh, evidence that uh, there is um no harm or that you have like uh dose dependent effect with uh the more the better uh then uh this could make sense but um the evidence we know clearly shows against it with uh high levels also potentially having like a, ne- a negative impact on health also on bone structure because what many people do not uh, think of is that vitamin d uh, is a vitamin that uh, promotes ber- bone turnover and this includes not only build up but also degradation of bone mass uh, and um, this is a general phenomenon in uh, biology that uh, the optimum is never at the end so uh, very low levels or extremely high levels, but always somewhere in the middle. This holds true for risk factors or, um, and protective factors. Uh, but of course, uh, marketing somehow promotes the belief then, uh, that, uh, the better, that the more is the better. We also know that, for example, from body mass index, where the ideal is uh, dependent on the age at around uh, 22 to 27 and not uh, below that. Uh, also, salt intake, uh, we see that uh, the association between salt intake and CVD is like a U-shape uh, with um, ideal um, doses at around like uh, four to, to like, uh, let's say, seven, eight grams of uh, salt, uh, sodium chloride uh, per day. Um, for many other risk factors, too, for blood pressure, for cholesterol levels and so on. We have that optimum somewhere in the middle and not uh, at the edges.
0: Mm. So vitamin D deficiency is defined as when levels are below 20 nanograms per milliliter. With like the, the medical uh, information mm-hmm. saying that optimal levels are between 40 and 80 uh, nanograms per milliliter. So do you personally get your vitamin D levels checked and do you take a supplement?
1: No, I don't do it. I don't care about it. Uh, I rather focus like on other lifestyle factors. So physical activity, a generally balanced diet, which in my eyes are much more uh, important for life, especially physical, uh, physical activity. Um, the problem of uh, taking supplements is that the focus uh, shifts on uh, behavior, which might be much less important than other behaviors. So it hinders you maybe of doing like uh, more important things uh, in lifestyle changes um what what in my eyes often is um falsely understood is that um for most cases the, the this low vitamin d levels or levels of other vitamins and outcomes are often just correlations and it's not clear whether they are causally related so it doesn't automatically mean that uh, if you uh, change these levels that also the disease risk spectrum uh, changes. So uh, meaning that uh, in my eyes, um, many uh, factors which are believed to be risk factors or protective factors, in fact, are more markers for disease outcomes. So not causally related. And if you change a marker, this doesn't mean anything. So there are many examples uh, like um, Homocysteine, for example, which was long believed to be a new cholesterol of the um, 21st century. And now we see clearly see that this is uh, much more a marker because you can change uh, homocysteine levels with vitamin B, uh, 6B12 and folic acid. But this doesn't uh, change anything on your cardiovascular disease risk, uh, just as an Mm -hmm. example. But uh, also cholesterol levels, for example, to quite a large extent in my eyes are more more markers than uh, risk factors, uh, meaning that uh, we should generally much more look uh, at uh, our, our lifestyles and not focus too much uh, on this um, supplements and risk, risk and protective factors.
0: Okay. So like the seasonal effects we've seen in some studies, for example, where in winter time, people have more bone fractures or when like, the case studies where people that have a fracture have lower vitamin D status. In your eyes, this is all just a correlation. So like confounders um, rather than a causal relationship.
1: For me, it's hard to say uh, what part is causal. I don't say that everything is a marker. So, of course, there might be also like um, a causal impact. because if you have very low levels of uh, vitamins, then the body cannot function normally. Uh, but uh, in in the um, let's say at the edges of the physiological uh, ranges, I would say that the, the the role is often as more as a marker than uh, as a protective factor in my eyes. Um, yeah it's it's um it's it's difficult uh, to to say which um which part is marker and which uh, risk factor um the the thing is that people who have like a poor lifestyle or generally a poor health they often uh, also have like uh, low levels of these markers and at the same time they have higher risks for something else and then um, many people automatically think that uh, this uh, low levels of the markers and the higher risks that they are causally related, which uh, is just an assumption. And uh, it's very difficult to prove it, in fact, with studies at the end.
0: Mm. So the UK, for example, they gave out supplements to vulnerable groups during the COVID pandemic. So mm. based on what you said, it doesn't seem to be too much of a good idea. Did, did Switzerland do something like this as well?
1: No, no. Switzerland didn't do that. And... Uh, it's very good that they didn't do anything as long as the, there were no results from randomized control trials. Because this is a typical example that uh, people with low vitamin D levels they had like poor outcomes um, if they had uh, COVID. Uh, and of course, these were generally vulnerable populations which uh, for the same reason had poor outcomes, disease outcomes and higher mortality and lower vitamin D levels. And for me, this was quite clear that uh, not necessarily this is causally associated. And um, the, some trials which came thereafter, they showed that uh, even high-dose supplementation, even early in the disease progression, and COVID-19 had no impact at, um, on the outcome. So people had not a lower mortality. mortality. They did not stay uh, shorter time in hospital. They did not have like a... a better, other disease outcomes associated with uh, COVID-19. And the the reason for not doing it just based on correlation is that uh, you could even have like poor outcomes if uh, high dose supplementation, you never know. You know that, for example, for calcium, uh, that calcium supplementation has um, in adults has almost no uh, clinically meaningful impact on... um, Bone mass. Even if it does slightly increase bone mass, uh, there's no evidence that it decreases uh, fracture risk. But there is some evidence that it might uh, increase uh, myocardial infarction risk in women at very high doses. Again, we're not sure whether this is uh, just uh, an association or whether um, the the high calcium intake is uh, causally responsible for the high myocardial infarction risk. But since uh, there is hardly any benefit in adults taking uh, calcium supplements, I would not recommend to do it. Mm.
0: So I think in some of my lectures, you, measure, you mentioned that some, like other supplements, they also have uh, negative uh, health outcomes, such as I think you mentioned vitamin A or maybe cancer risk.
1: Yes. yes, exactly. So this is known from um, studies uh, in people smoking and in people who were exposed to asbestos so uh, etonite which uh, is a swiss product in fact and uh, unfortunately still used uh, in other countries uh, in south uh, american countries uh, partially uh, use uh, this uh, product which has uh, good properties for uh, heat and fire protection so it's used to build uh, to build buildings and uh, Uh, especially protections around heatings and uh, these fibers they go into the lungs and they increase strongly um, the risk for some types uh, of uh, uh, cancer not only lung cancer but also mesothelium uh, cancer Uh, and um, in these people uh, vitamin a and beta carotene was used uh, because it was believed that in fact this uh, high dose vitamin supplement uh, would reduce the risk of uh, lung cancer and other cancers associated with smoking and asbestos exposures. And in fact, uh, both uh, studies, I think one was uh, conducted in US and other in Finland, uh, had to be stopped because uh, the intervention group, in fact, had higher risks for cancer. Um, so the the groups um, taking uh, the supplements uh, than the control group. Uh, and um, somehow there is also a, a, a bit the biological explanation for this, because uh, um, from some vitamins, which are used for um, cell replication, for uh, uh, DNA replication, uh, in fact, uh, tumor cells, which have a very high replication rate, may profit um, rate may profit more than uh, normal uh, body cells. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, in fact, smokers should not take high doses uh, high doses of these vitamins. The other vitamins like vitamin e which have the problem that they decrease coagulation uh, in the blood uh, and um, this may have uh, advantages for myocardial infarction and um, for uh, the white stroke where um, there is a uh, um, uh, uh, closure of um, the blockage of, uh, of a vessel so um, blood clot. exactly the blood clots um, as a cause Uh, But it's clearly a disadvantage for the other type of stroke, which is the hemorrhagic stroke, also called red stroke, where there's a rupture uh, of um, a vessel, um, of a brain um, vessel, and the blood flows out of this vessel and then increases the intracranial pressure, the pressure inside the skull, uh, which might have uh, more um, stronger and larger consequences. Uh, For people with red stroke, then with white stroke and myocardial infarction, it's also harder to manage and to handle uh, from the medical perspective. And uh, the authors looking at these risks, so the decreased risk for white stroke and for myocardial infarction, the higher risk for uh, hemorrhagic stroke, uh, they clearly say that um, you better should not take um, vitamin E supplements because. if you look at the um, joint risk, you have more disadvantage than advantage. There are um, other studies, for example, looking at folic acid in high doses, which also speak uh, rather against than in favor of taking uh, this, uh, these supplements. Um, and there are also differences with um, blood levels coming from supplements or from, from natural sources, showing that uh, if you have high levels based on Uh, like uh, food consumption, normal food consumption, for example, of folic acid, Uh, this may much more lower your risk, for example, for uh, prostate cancer um, than uh, having high levels based on uh, supplement intake of folic acid. Mm. Uh, And also for people doing a lot of sports, in fact, uh, this is also a marketing thing uh, that uh, people doing a lot of sports, they think that they should take uh, supplements. And in fact, Especially high dose supplements, they decrease performance and they decrease uh, the effect of uh, training. So, when you train or when you do sports, there are free radicals uh, emerging. Uh, And um, these free radicals, in fact, are part of the the game, are are part of the fact that you increase performance um, through training. So, uh, uh, and, um, and if you wish to have an impact of the training, you should not take these uh, supplements because they block the three radicals and also block a part of the improvement that you, that you have with training.
0: Mm. Thank you. You answered a lot of my questions there, which I was going to ask. So great. So if we just um, take a little bit of a step back again, uh, what about iron? So I've also said some people... Uh, have said maybe iron supplements are not as good as iron in food. Is, this, mm-hmm. uh, is there any evidence in this?
1: Well, iron is really a problem. Uh, I'm not sure about uh, other countries, but in Switzerland uh, is a part of the population with low iron levels and in contrast to other micronutrients, uh, also younger people, especially women, are affected, but also people doing a lot of sports um, might have low iron levels. Uh, and uh, they have problems to cover this demand with uh, the normal diet. And in this case, um, it might make sense to take an iron supplement, maybe uh, with uh, vitamin C to st- stabilize this iron. So, uh, for the supplement, it does not really increase the uptake, but it stabilizes it in the in the stomach. It's only for plant-based uh, iron sources that the vitamin C and other acids may have a positive impact on the. Uh, bioavailability, but not on animal sources or on supplements. Um, So it might make sense to take uh, iron in order to, uh, for example, in the framework of anemia uh, or other um, problems associated with uh, iron deficiency, to take iron supplements for a certain time, but only iron, uh, maybe with vitamin C, uh, and not uh, like as a multivitamin. I would not recommend that um and not longer than it's absolutely necessary and um it should also be looked at uh, other reasons for this iron deficiency uh, including um, iron loss uh, through blood Uh, for example strong menstruation Uh, there we have other means to um, uh, reduce menstrual blood loss or uh, gastrointestinal losses of blood or uh, in the urinary tract uh, losses of blood. So first, you have to look at this, especially in elderly people. Um, otherwise, it doesn't make sense to um, take the, the iron supplement all the time, and the so the cause is not the, um, the intake um, uh, for the problem. Um, uh, I would not exaggerate it with iron uptake. So um, no newer evidence rather speaks against like intravenous um, iron uh, supplementation supplementation which is often done uh, because this is completely unphysiological and often also not sustainable so if um, there is a lack of iron and it's not possible to cover that with diet i would rather recommend like oral intake and not every day um, every second day makes more sense because iron uh, can also be toxic for the body and the body has like um, uh, measures uh, to avoid iron to be taken up by the gastrointestinal system. Um, uh, Hepsidine is uh, is this called this element and uh, if you take iron this um, uh, elements reducing iron uptake are induced and if you do it only every second day you have a better bioavailability uh, of the iron um, uptake. So uh, it makes sense um, to to take only every second day you have more iron than in the blood than to take it every day uh, the iron mm. um, and would not take it in very high doses because it's a pro-oxidant it uh, may release uh, free radicals uh, in the body and uh, this this is why the body also protects uh, itself from too high um, iron overload um, by reducing um, the, the bioavailability. Avail-
0: okay, so has iron got any like links with like health outcomes? So,
1: for example, any like, uh, um, uh, like stroke uh, or cancer? It's hard to say. There is some evidence, but for me, this is not enough to say that iron is really causally. Clearly, say that um, we should warn about too hot, too high uh, iron intake. Um, some scientists believe that iron is part of the reason um, explaining the the association between high intake of uh, red and processed meat uh, and the increased risk for some types of cancer like uh, colorectal cancer uh, and uh, cardiovascular disease but for me this is remains quite uh, hypothetical
0: okay, so we 've been talking a lot about supplements so now. Especially for like uh, specific groups with uh, dietary habits, such as vegan, there's a lot of uh, fortification going on. So, for example, B12 mm-hmm. or um, maybe calcium fortified milk. Because if vegans, mm. for example, don't get fortified products, it's very difficult for them to reach the RDA. So, do absolutely do uh, my question is, do uh, supplements and fortified food are they basically the same like do they do you assume that their health outcomes will be the same so it's
1: very hard to say so i don't dare to make a, a statement here because we really don't have the, the scientific evidence for this for me however there are some points speaking against um this fortification uh, first of all uh, nature does it uh, best so the way that um, a natural product um, supplies uh, gives us the, the nutrients we, we need um, is uh, probably the best also in the, in the matrix uh, of the food. Uh, also with elements potentially reducing the uptake like uh, phytic acid or uh, oxalab, um, which can also have like um, a, re- a reduction effect on the uptake, for example, of iron, which uh, absolutely makes sense. Um, uh, so, it protects us somehow also from uh, overdose of these uh, nutrients. Uh, uh, and um, on the other side, uh, it really could make sense because uh, a lot of these um, cow milk replacement products, vegan products, in fact, if you don't fortify them, uh, they may not cover the demand. Because they're too poor in uh, like calcium, magnesium, uh, zinc, iodine, and so on, so it may make sense to fortify. Um, The problem is that you somehow lose the control uh, of uh, the micronutrients that you you take as a as a person uh, living a a vegan or having a vegan diet, Um, and uh, often these. uh, Forty-five products have the micronutrient in a more bioavailable form. Um, also, maybe increasing a little bit the risk of uh, too high uh, intake of some uh, micronutrients. We will see maybe in 30, 40 years what this makes with our health, uh, when we have like uh, enough cases, at least from observational studies, in order to be able to, to say uh, whether um, uh, this... Uh, Fortified products are really a problem or not? Mm. Um, maybe it also depends on the micronutrient. Uh, for example, I have less problems with uh, B12 because there uh, the demand is low and usually also the the levels are low uh, in this uh, in this product. Uh, but for others, um, it could be could be more problematic it'll uh, be interesting example, to see yeah yes exactly um i think uh, as as someone with a vegan diet i would recommend to try to cover the demand as far as possible with natural foods, so with the intake of uh not seeds kernels uh, with uh, especially uh, with um legumes uh, so beans lentils um Uh, and so on, peas, to cover cover the demand, Uh, and also to um, mix a vegan product in order, for example, to increase the um, biological value of your proteins to the better amino acid profile
0: that you achieve. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see because I think that, I have a few examples where fortified products have managed to improve, like the health status of the population. For example, like iodine has managed to reduce goiter. Absolutely. So
1: So fortification, but there it was really focused on one micronutrient, which was low in many populations, especially in the Swiss population. Uh, which has uh, um, historically, of course, no access to uh, seed products which are the main sources of iodine and also the soil is low in iodine. This is why it makes sense to fortify, for example, salt uh, or um, uh, um, food that you need to feed animals with iodine because they have like in dairy products, higher iodine concentrations. But this is very focused or um, but already others, um, are a bit disputed, for example, uh, folic acid, uh, which is, uh, fortified, uh, in, um, um, cereals, uh, though, yes. In fact, it's the, uh, it's like the Yeah. So yeah, yes.
0: like, uh, flour. Yeah. Flour is yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Flour, uh, which is used uh, which in some countries like the U S uh, and, um, Countries like Switzerland, but I think also many other European countries, they decided clearly against doing that uh, fortification of uh, flour uh, for um, for reasons that um, include also the overload of the population with folic acid uh, and also vitamin D, for example, with, which is uh, used um, as a fortification product in many countries like milk, for example. Uh, it's not done in other countries, so uh, this already shows that uh, maybe the evidence is not so clear for benefit for the general population of the, uh, these types of fortifications. Um, otherwise, uh, all countries would do that.
0: Okay, interesting, because I thought it's not possible to like go over on folic acid because it's like a water-soluble vitamin, so uh, even if you have too much, it's not that much of a problem, and that. I-
1: Not so clear, not so clear. Um, These studies uh, with uh, homocysteine lowering uh, with uh, folic acid B12 and B6, in fact, they showed that in some cases uh, there were even uh, increased risks found in the intervention group, for example, for kidney disease, so uh, microvascular uh, pathologies um and also some uh, cardiovascular disease uh, which uh, were higher in the intervention group with this high dose vitamins of course these were very high doses but you have all, always to think that you you then co- you like cover an entire population with this uh um fortified uh, micronutrients and uh, it's not clear what at the end uh, comes out from the disease perspective but uh, Maya is a bit tricky. You want to reach mainly um, one population with folic acid: um, women which uh, want to become pregnant, or pregnant women, or women that do not want to become pregnant but nevertheless become pregnant. Like in the US, it's about half of all pregnancies are not really wanted. Uh, and to in order to avoid um, spina bifida, mm-hmm. it's
0: uh, a spinal spinal. Uh a neural tube defects, exactly neural right.
1: troop defects uh, you, yeah. you then fortify like you give it to an entire population but it's really disputable but uh, it's meaningful to do that or not okay maybe it depends on the on the rate of uh, unwanted pregnancies in the population mm. which is higher <laughs> in the us than than in other countries
0: okay so let's uh before we finish off briefly touch on uh, maybe two more vitamins if you have time so maybe zinc so we were talking about uh vitamin d as a uh, strategy to improve the immune system so Mm -hmm. it's not too clear but what about zinc so uh, zinc is known for being important for the immune system so is zinc worth supplementing because uh only maybe very high doses have been shown to have benefits above Mm -hmm. uh, 70 milligrams so what is your view on this
1: yeah So we have to say that if you don't eat properly and you don't cover uh, your demand for um, some vitamins and uh, trace elements, uh, micronutrients such as um, zinc, but also selenium, uh, iron, uh, vitamin C, uh, vitamin D, maybe also vitamin A, beta-carotene, you have clearly higher risks for uh, a flu or cold infectious disease because the immune system is dependent on this however it's not clear how much we need and it's also not clear whether really high doses um, provide any benefit Uh, the uh, the evidence is quite inconclusive Um, for vitamin c uh, there is for me the evidence for a benefit of um, also even very high doses so one gram two grams or even more in order to degree decrease um, the risk of uh, catching a cold uh, or for influencing, once you have a cold, the, prog- the progression, the development of the disease is in fact very weak. It's extremely weak. So based on this evidence, I know I don't see any benefit, uh, especially because if there is benefit, then it's more like preventive. So we should take every day vitamin C and uh um, Although there is not so clear evidence for any harm, uh, you still have like an increase for kidney stone, uh, which um, is very painful, in fact, with the vitamin C at that high doses. Mm. Um, for zinc, there might be a little bit more evidence, um, but uh, you need, uh, as far as we know today, much higher doses than usually is in the um, doses uh, in the pills you can get, in the supplements you can get in most countries. For example, in Switzerland, this is limited to five milligrams. Um, in other countries, it's not clearly limited by law, uh, uh, as far as I know, but uh, um, the producer limits it uh, in the in the in the um, pills, in the supplements, to about like let's say twenty milligrams or so. So um, it's in fact it's in in Switzerland it's almost impossible to cover the demand um, because you, you should really need high doses like 75 milligrams um, and this might reduce uh, if you take it within 24 hours um, of the first after the first symptoms uh, if you take it later it does not really make any sense anymore uh, it may may reduce the duration uh, of the of the cold um, by about 30 percent. And uh, some studies show that you can also take it like as a, something preventive, but you have to keep it in the mouth the 70 milligrams. And mostly uh, um, the pill is just swallowed and then it doesn't make sense at all, even if you take 70 milligrams, because it appears that uh, these zinc ions, they act uh, locally. Uh, in the mouth regions, and uh, kill then the, the germs uh, in order that they cannot uh, really develop then the, the disease. But, um, not only the dose, but also the application form may not be appropriate in order to have the, the full impact. What we also do not know what it does with our body um, if we take over years these high doses of Thing. so we know about side effects for example gastrointestinal side effects in some people who take these high doses but we do do not know about uh, like disease outcomes on uh, the long run we will know that in 20 30 years maybe so i, I would be careful and uh, i would rather like add one or two days of my cold and flu uh, take that into account uh, instead of taking this high dose uh, high doses of zinc uh, of especially because they're hard to 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 get i don't know where you purchase them in fact maybe mm. from the internet or other like uh, doubtable sources but uh, in the stores uh, as far as i know in many countries they have much lower uh, dosage in the supplements than these uh, 75 milligrams which appear to be the minimum level in order to be effective
0: mm. So just to clarify, it's effective to reduce one or two days of the cold, but we just don't know about the if this will have an effect at all in the long run. On the
1: long run, if you leave, really take it like as a preventive measure, uh, you take it without interruption over days. And this, uh, for many years, we really have no experience what it does. Mm.
0: But what about if I just do it once, for example, if I, I feel like I'm about to get a cold and I...
1: Yeah. I, I... This, this you could do, yes. So if you feel like symptoms, I would say this is maybe the most meaningful way um, to take it. Uh, I'm not sure whether the preventive intake is, except you really have to be fit, like for an exam or something, then you could think of doing it. There you could even think of taking uh, vitamin C uh, for a limited range of time. I don't see a lot of risk for harmful effects if you don't take it like... Continuously over over years, this vitamin C. But for me, there's also no clear uh, signs for for a benefit. But for okay, example, but... Mm-hmm. like sport, sportive people uh, like doing it on it on a elite level, co- very competitive level. Uh, there, um, the very planned and specific intake of uh, some supplements at high doses may, uh, in some cases, uh, make sense. But certainly not. Um, uh, sustainably uh, especially not around trainings this may be counterproductive
0: okay great for your answers thank you so much and uh just to finish off we've got a few extra a couple extra questions uh uh what is we talked a lot about vitamins what is your the vitamin you would say is the most important a philosophical <laughs> question and then mm. what got you interested also into nutrition and to study this
1: so, vitamins, by definition, they are all important. Uh, they're also interdependent. So, uh, the intake or the metabolization in the body of one vitamin may require the intake of other vitamins. Um, so, doesn't really matter. Maybe the least important, in fact, is vitamin D, because uh, we can produce it ourselves. And some scientists also, they think that it's rather a hormone than a vitamin, because it does not really... Um, Cover the definition of a vitamin, meaning that you have to take it with your diet. Uh, otherwise, you get uh, like serious uh, um, deficiencies, deficiency symptoms. Uh, maybe you could make it a little bit dependent on the um, um, the frequency of intake. So whether you have to, have to take it on a daily level, and there are clearly the, a lot of the water-soluble vitamins are crucial because uh, you are dependent on a daily intake, like uh, uh, vitamin c uh, some b vitamins uh, like uh, folic acid um, um, and less uh, b12 for example uh, where uh, you have uh, um, long storage uh, in the liver and even if you don't take it uh, like for a month uh, you don't get deficiencies because uh, the liver can store it for months even years maybe you could say that some vitamins uh it's more important to think about some vitamins, um, taken on a daily basis uh, than others, but, um, on the basis, all are important, maybe with the exception of vitamin D.
0: Okay. And just, uh, you gave me an extra idea for a question now. So during periods like for example, Ramadan, when people are fasting mm. a lot, um, does the body hold onto its nutrients or, or what, what is the additional considerations?
1: So Ramadan is not really like uh, fasting completely. As far as I understand the concept, it's more like intermittent fasting, so that you can, uh, so that people at least have the possibility to cover their demand uh, after uh, uh, there is no sun. Sh- it's not during the daytime, so so uh, the sun is has um, uh, lowered. Uh, so there is still a possibility um, to, to cover the, the demand. Now, if you really fast uh, over, let's say, a week, I would say that um, probably you do not have too much risk of deficiency. I would say everything that is more than 10 days or two weeks, you, ha- you would have to think of uh, supplementation, but maybe for other reasons, it is not really meaningful to do so, to fast over a long longer period of time. On the other hand, if you don't have like calorie intake the body also needs fewer micronutrients you know because it doesn't have to process and to metabolize um uh, uh, the calories um and uh this is in fact um the role of many uh vitamins uh and other micronutrients to metabolize so to, to uh to be involved in the um energy um um, metabolism of the body so they're consumed uh, because we have to transform um, carbohydrates uh, other energy sources into um, energy um, forms that um, are more um, available for the body like atp so we also may need less if we eat less mm-hmm. but some are, uh, make sense and. the before we recorded, we talked about uh, that uh, like sugar intake increases the demand of some vitamins. And this is absolutely true. But uh, nature is uh, perfect and somehow covers this, because in nature, uh, sources that are rich in vitamins, uh, which are used for the metabolization of sugar, um, uh, in fact, also contain a lot of, um, uh, of this sugar. So fruits that are rich in. Uh, These vitamins that um, are important for the metabolization of sugar and they contain also uh, well available uh, sugars as disaccharides, for example. Interesting.
0: So when you said 10 days fasting, just to double check, did you mean 10 days only drinking water or 10 days intermittent fasting?
1: No, 10 days only drinking water.
0: Okay, exactly. because yeah, interesting. You should
1: not really go over that. In fact, it um, may also be harmful. Mm, not only yeah. f- for, from the perspective of um, of lack of micronutrients, but also from the uh, eating behavior perspective, because this may induce stress, and you never know what these uh, stress hormone levels do on the long run mm-hmm. with your eating behavior and your brain.
0: Okay. And and do you know anyone that has done this or who who would do something extreme like this? Yes.
1: Yes, I think um, this is uh, something which is not so rare. Uh, So the people, they may go like uh, even to uh, an institution like uh, a hotel, for example, for doing that. Um, And uh, it's up to two weeks where people really um, just consume water, not only for uh, health reasons, but also for spiritual reasons. So I think that this is inher- inherent in, in many cultures. For sure. So.
0: Yeah, because we've got this RDA drilled into us that like you need to get the RDA every day, the really recommended allowance. No,
1: I would say if you do it, like let's say maximum two weeks, it, I would say you don't really have to be afraid of any like long lasting uh, problems due to micronutrient deficiency. I I see a, in fact a, a bigger problem from eating for eating behavior the way you you handle food and you um um you behave um with uh, food intake uh, in fact if you are interested in that you can google uh, Minnesota starvation experiment uh, there like volunteers so soldiers soldiers after the second or during the second world war uh they had really severe um restriction of food over um much more than 2 weeks i believe mm. So the the military Services, they wanted to find out uh, how um, the body behaves um, with uh, severe calorie and uh, food restriction. So Minnesota starvation experiment. Was, uh,
0: uh, I'll have a look.
1: Not from ethical, ethical reasons. Uh, luckily, not possible uh, anymore today.
0: Yeah, I'll have a look for sure, because yeah, overconsumption is probably more of a problem in our society. Absolutely. Okay, so final question then, uh, just to get to know a little bit more about you. um, What got you into nutrition? Why did you study dietetics?
1: First, I studied uh, medicine, and uh, there was just not enough uh, nutrition uh, in that study. So uh, I was really interested um, in um, how nutrients form the body. And uh, in fact, we uh, exist of molecules, which we have... uh, uh, swallowed somehow during our life course. And this, uh, for me, this was very interesting, uh, showing that, uh, in fact, this has a large impact on uh, various uh, outcomes, even um, in utero. So before birth, uh, diet has a large impact, uh, even on uh, like uh, genes being activated or deactivated. But there are all, uh, at the same time a lot of misbeliefs uh, and a lot of uh, lacunes um in the in the science so that the potential is huge here to to achieve a lot of uh real and true knowledge uh which is really necessary because a lot of what people think in fact is a result of uh marketing and not of uh study results
0: okay david thanks a lot for your answer today it was great to hear you yeah you've got Thank very you interesting too, Patrick especially uh yeah throughout the whole episode it was super engaging i'm sure lots of people get some actionable tips so it seems like a lot of these vitamins are maybe being over marketed and probably the best steps are just to focus on lifestyle factors such as going outside doing sports getting in your uh, daily steps that will have more of an impact
1: in this the long is my world. opinion yes
0: great then so take care and hopefully we'll be back soon for another episode maybe to do with uh, weight management uh diet culture and stuff like this sure
1: would be a pleasure so
0: that'd be great Thanks, to have Patrick. you on
1: again bye-bye see you later ciao